Qigong, you could say it has a strong meditative element and the principal object of meditation that you're meditating on Qigong is the flow of subtle energy through your body. Hi, and welcome to today's podcast. Today, we are speaking to Toby Ouvry. So a little bit about Toby. Like his background, Toby Ouvry is a man of many hats in the field of meditation and mindfulness. British by birth, Toby grew up in the Philippines, Portugal, Brazil, and has been based in Singapore for the past 20 years. He is also an artist and mindfulness coach, facilitator, TEDx speaker, Qigong practitioner, book author, and was even a Buddhist monk specializing in the Tibetan tradition. As a dedicated practitioner of meditation and mindfulness for over 20 years, Toby is passionate about empowering people and organizations to greater levels of capability, effectiveness, uh, creativity, and well-being through the applied practice of mindfulness and meditation. So today we are happy to speak to Toby on how we can slow our flow with Qigong. It's a series of invaluable breathing and movement exercises which can help our body and mind keep at peak energy levels in the face of today's demanding and stressful modern lifestyles and schedules. So without further ado, please help me welcome Toby to today's podcast episode on Qigong and meditation and mindfulness practices. All right, welcome everyone. And here's Toby. Toby Ouvry, as I said, is a meditation and mindfulness practitioner and coach. He's also a TEDx speaker, and he was also a ex-Buddhist monk. So maybe we should start right there. Hi, Toby. Thank you very much for joining today. I wanted to just sort of find out your original training was in fine art when I came across your bio and you've also spoken about it. And then, you know, you began this journey into meditation and then ended up becoming a Buddhist monk. Like, what is that journey? Can you just share how and why and where, how you went from there to there? Yeah, I mean, I was originally trained as an artist, as a sculptor as a ceramic sculptor and so I always been arty as a child and I really was quite good at art I also chose fine arts as a degree because it was one of the only places where you could kind of really explore in a free-form way who you were and what you enjoy at the same time as doing your degree towards the end of my degree I got into a guy called Joseph Boys who you might have heard of he's a very famous probably the most famous post-war German artist. One of the things that he was famous for was his idea of uh, social sculpture, which was essentially the idea that, you know, because we're social animals, everything that you're doing is, is changing things is, and is, is creating new things, whether you're aware of it or not. So he, he essentially was into this idea of everybody's an artist, everybody's creative. And that the domain of the artist is no longer just the fine arts in the sense of painting and sculpture and, uh, and other things, but is actually your life and your your way of going and being in the world is artistic or creative in nature. And that if you frame your life in that way and start to consciously say, I am an artist and the domain of my art is my life, mm. then you can actually start creating a your life as a sculpture, your life as a, as a, as a piece of artwork. And that kind of transitioned me out of the idea of just straight sculpture and, and, and painting. 
And it also got me into the, the idea that, well, really behind the, uh, the physical process of creation, there is the mind. And within the mind, there are certain processes that are foundationally creative. I got increasingly in, into the idea of, well, it's actually more to do with the mind behind the actions that is really where it's at. And so I, towards the end of my degree, I got into Tibetan Buddhism and uh, I started to follow a, a teacher living in the Lake District at the time, a Tibetan fellow, and spent a decade doing my basic meditation training as it, in, within Tibet. Actually, I'd, been, I'd already been into Tibetan Buddhism for a while. I saw John Cleese, the British comedian, mm. read the Tibetan Book of the Dead on the radio when he was when I was 12. I had no idea that John Cleese ever read the Tibetan Book of the Dead. How well, interesting, from Faulty Towers to that. <laughs> Faulty Towers to Buddhism. He was quite into Buddhism. I don't know whether he still is, but he, there was a period of time in the late 80s when he was really into it and he was doing public work around uh, things like the Tibetan Book of the Dead. So I did, so my mum got me that book and uh, ever since then I've been very kind of fascinated by uh, meditation and, particularly Tibetan Buddhism and Taoism and uh, kind of Taoist philosophy as well. So I basically went from art school to being an arts teacher at a school to being increasingly involved in meditation centers. And, and so by the time I hit 25, I was pretty much on my way to becoming a monk. And not that it would necessarily end that way, but I had a couple of particular meditation experiences where it was really clear that the next few years was going to be as a monk, so I got I did become ordained. And, uh, wow! And it kind of okay. went from there, really. It kind of went from there. That took me to Singapore in the late 1990s, where I was asked to set up a, a meditation center by that same Tibetan teacher. I then left that Buddhist group in about 2001, partly because I was feeling like they were quite a conservative group. And they were quite interested in just sustaining their own particular lineage of meditation and mindfulness, where I was more uh, eclectic, integrative, and liked to, and felt like I needed to broaden my horizons in terms of studying other, other meditation traditions, and also feeling as if, you know, I wanted to do something more creative. Mm. So there was a kind of artistic theme that came back into my life after I left my life as a monk, because I wanted to start creating things. And I did actually go back into art for a while, creating paintings and sculptures. But then also I set up my own business as a mindfulness meditation trainer. And I really started to see actually the, the creation of the business itself as being my artwork. Mm. And actually, really, my stage as a Buddhist monk was really almost like a preparation for the next level of articulation with regard to my, my life as an artist, where I, I was actually using meditation and mindfulness, starting my own business, coming up with my own materials, and really kind of offering something creative in that sense of the word. Wow. Okay. That's so fascinating. I mean, just now when you're speaking about the, the German artist, was it Joseph Beuys? Was that what Joseph you said? Boyce. Joseph Beuys. Yeah. It almost parallels to the conversation we had about like Joe Dispenza on like the fact that you create your own reality. And so... Mm -hmm. You become the creator in the canvas that is your life, essentially. That was my parallel, at least, that I got from it. But wow, okay. That's really fascinating. You went from this and then, yeah, absolutely. You become the artist of your business now in that way. Could you talk a little bit about meditation and mindfulness and if there is a difference to the two in that sense? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, really, when we're talking about mindfulness, certainly in the way that I teach it, it's really 
the act of paying attention and just noticing the way in which you're paying attention and noticing what ways in which you can improve the way in which you pay attention in order to improve the quality of your life. So when I was a Tibetan Buddhist, the definition of meditation that I was taught was, sorry, the definition of mindfulness that I was taught, it's an all-accompanying mental factor whose function is to remember what you're doing. Okay. okay. So in order to, we're all practicing mindfulness all the time because in order to, you know, function on a very basic level, you need to have a certain degree of mindfulness. I need to remember that I had a podcast interview with Shubra at 2.20 on Friday. I wasn't able to hold that within my awareness to remember it mindfully and I just forgot it then I could I wouldn't be here we wouldn't be here it wouldn't have happened right yeah. so you want to make a cup of tea you've got to get the intention but careful and do various other tasks in order to get yourself a cup of tea right you've got to remember what you're doing all the way through so we're using mindfulness all the time a mindfulness practitioner is just somebody who's noticed interested in what ways of paying attention work in the sense of uh, they help me to become more effective in life, they help me to be happier, have a, have a better time. What ways of paying attention work against me? Okay. And how can I improve the way in which I pay attention in order to improve my quality of life, both in terms of effectiveness and in terms of the, the amount of enjoyment or pleasure or fulfillment that I get from it. So mindfulness is going on all the time. And a mindfulness practitioner is someone who's interested in getting better at paying attention in order to improve their quality of life. Can you tell me the connection of that? So like by paying attention a lot more, how does that benefit the quality of life? Like why should a person be mindful? If you take as a very simple example, if you've got a series of work tasks to perform during the morning. So if you do one at a time, focusing gently on each one, you know, one after the other, are taking short breaks in the interim time between tasks, then you can have a very enjoyable time relaxing, being productive and effective whilst doing your tasks. If you start, if you come to the same point in the morning, you've got five tasks, you start on one, then you could feel anxious about another one, so you change tasks, then you start the second task, then you start feeling anxious about the third task, you start that one, you stop in the other one, you come back to the first task, which you've half started, and now you're feeling dissatisfied because you've half started it and you haven't got it done. So by this time, you're feeling quite unsettled. You haven't really got anything absolutely done yet, and you're not having such a good time of it. So the way in which you pay attention to work tasks, for example, has a big influence on the level of satisfaction that you experience as you're doing it, the level of effectiveness that you have when you're doing it, and how sustainable or not you're being with your process of attention. Yeah. Mm. Because I can imagine you're expending so much energy if you're jumping back and forth during each one as well, right? Yeah, if you're jumping back and forth and if you're feeling dissatisfied or anxious and that the attention shifting is creating even more anxiety, then it's not optimal. It's not, it's not effective either in terms of enjoyment or uh, effectiveness. Mm. So there's a simple example. Another example is, well, you know, if someone's done something that has upset you and your mind continually dwells upon the particular things about that person that cause you to be upset and that you don't like, then that person's going to appear fairly horrible to you, right? And every time you think about them, you're going to get stressed or anxious or you're going to get to develop negative emotions, right? So actually that person isn't just those things you've been focused on. There are other parts 
and aspects of that person that you could be focusing on equally. And if you focus on other parts of that person or other aspects of that person, they would appear differently to you. Right. So you're, you're creating the way in which you, you experience that person. So right. I can control to an extent, in certain extent, certain degree, the way in which I experience other people and myself through my, what I'm paying attention to about that person or about myself. And a really simple example, you know, quite often people are very focused on the things that they've done wrong during the day and that haven't gone right for them. Oh my God, absolutely. <laughs> Parents uh, are like always doing that, I think, half of the time. <laughs> yeah, and, and we're also doing it with ourselves. Yeah. You know, we're also very focused on the things that we didn't do right. And so we, at the end of the day, we've done 10 things fairly well. We've made one mistake and we're dwelling on the mistake. And we're letting that focus shape the way in which we perceive our day and ourselves. So it is possible to pay attention to ourselves, to our day, to our experience in a way that uh, changes that experience, changes our relationship to ourselves, And all of that is, a is really the art of mindful attention in the moment. Mm. Right? Another basic question to ask yourself was, well, what is the way of paying attention that is optimal for this moment? Yeah. So one thing about mindfulness is the optimal object of mindfulness for you during the day is always changing. Mm. So, for example, if I'm on a podcast getting interviewed by Shubra and I'm thinking about you know, the game of squash I'm going to play later and the strategy I'm going to use and all that, then that's not optimal. I'm not likely to come up with anything very intelligent in this podcast because I'm thinking about something else. My attention is somewhere else whilst I'm here, right? So it's really important for me if I want to bring an optimal experience to the podcast to be focused on, on you, your questions, our conversation, and paying attention to the thread of that conversation, right? That is the optimal point of focus for this moment now. Right. Right. However, if I finish the podcast and I'm going into a coaching session with a client, and I'm still thinking about the podcast and waxing lyrical about Qigong and my life as a monk and so on and so forth, then that's not going to make me the best coach in the world. So I need to have a different, slightly different, where my focus is now the client, their story, the things that they want to accomplish and how I can best help them. So, so, so now I'm, I'm shifting my attention mm. to them during that activity. You know? And again, if I finish the activity, I go play squash. I'm still thinking about my coaching client, then I'm not going to play squash optimally. So during the day, there are many different ways of paying attention that I need to shift into in order to be appropriate for this particular task. Right. Yep, Absolutely. So then with meditation, is mindfulness incorporated in meditation or is it just one facet of it? Or is it sometimes you use it, sometimes you don't? Like, can you explain what is meditation then for people? Sure. So, okay, so mindfulness is attention to the way in which you pay attention. Yes? Okay. Yes. <laughs> so. <laughs> attention to the way that you pay attention. Yes. Yeah. Mindful of the way in which you're paying attention to things. Okay. And making shifts in your mindful attention according to what, what's optimal. Okay, so in order to, to meditate, you need to be mindful. You need to be able to remember what you're doing. All right. So meditation, one useful definition of meditation, that, you, that if you're listening to this, you probably haven't heard before, is meditation is a is state training. So you are in a particular state of body and mind at any given time, right? So you're in a happy state, relaxed state, stressed state, angry state, moving and energized state, calm and, and still state. Right? So you're going through different states of mind and body during the day all the time. 
your basic set of states is you're either awake, you're dreaming, or you're sleeping. You're either in one of those basic states all of the time. But even within the waking state, you go through many different states of waking, you know, as I've just explained, angry, sad, busy, relaxed, and so forth, right? Right. So meditation is the art of learning to shift yourself consciously into different states, different states of mind, different states of body, and to increase your access to what you might call positive state, okay? So that you spend more of your life and more of your day in positive states of body, mind, and heart that give rise to happiness and well-being. And with meditation, you will often have a meditation training, which means to say you will sit down, sit or stand, or lie down at a certain point in your day, specifically with the idea that you're now going to train yourself in a particular positive state of mind and body. So meditation training is it's, you're training yourself to move into different states of body-mind, consciously and on purpose. And so you're trying to do three things, three aspects of this. So first is you're trying to strengthen your current range of positive states. Let's say I'm already quite confident, but I could be better at it. So I could actually do particular meditations in order to really strengthen and consolidate my level of confidence such that it's able to, I'm able to remain confident even when I have this setback, which would normally break my confidence. So first thing with meditation, I'm trying to strengthen my already existing positive states of mind so that they become even more function, high function. Right. Confidence, love, compassion. Okay. I don't think I've ever heard that where you can strengthen a state using the meditation. I mean, most people I think have this idea that it's, it's meant for relaxation and de-stressing and then maybe to help you sleep and like those are like the three major ones but i didn't realize that you could use it also to enhance a positive state of being as well yeah of course so any state that you want you can meditate on to meditate on really means to dwell upon a particular thing so if somebody says to you shubra i want to marry you and then you go well well, let's say you, you're not, I know you're married. Let's say, before you were married, someone says, some, a boy says, sure, I want to marry you, I'm totally in love with you. And you quite like this boy, but you're not really sure, right? So you say, well, okay, let me go and meditate on it. Give me a while. <laughs> you then go away and you think deeply, well, do I really want this person in my life? Is he the right one? What am I feeling here? So you dwell deeply upon that question, should I marry him or not? And you, you go deep and you examine it and you just dwell deeply on that subject. You focus deeply. So to meditate means to dwell deeply on a particular subject. So let's say I want to develop my confidence. I then identify ways in which I can really dwell upon in a way that is going to increase my familiarity with that state of confidence. Mm. Right? So once okay. I've done that, I can then sit down every day and focus on bring my mind into that state of confidence and then I really just let myself soak in it. I dwell upon it in meditation. Like taking a bath, I just soak myself in that state of confidence such that I come out of it feeling like, wow, I really have strong access to this state of confidence now. I really feel confident and it's very easy for me to sustain that feeling of confidence in my life. Or you could be confidence, courage, more loving or patient, more focused. Any, you can build any quality you like in meditation. 
it's completely open to you decide what you want right you can so you, right. you can create your own meditation practices and that's quite a lot of what i do in coaching is i coach my clients to identify what it is they want to build what qualities they want to build in their life then we create meditations for them to do and then they do them so then awesome. they have they have actual practices that they do to help them to feel develop competency and confidence in themselves having developing and having those qualities so it's almost like a customized meditation plan for people absolutely like wow. that it's customized, mm. it's customized meditation back to my original answer to your question well, firstly you're trying to strengthen your already existing strengths mm. yeah secondly you're trying to develop the capacity to deal better with the difficult or unsettling state that you go through right in the day so how can i better deal with an anxiety attack with my short temper so as a meditator i'm very interested in how i can navigate the current difficult states of mind that i have mm. better the idea would be here that first first of all we're not put off when we experience a difficult state yes navigate it better if we can navigate it well enough then what often happens is we start to see the possible use of that current state of mind that is currently not useful to me because it, it, it's unsettling to me. Right. So a simple example is negative aggression. Let's say I, I find myself becoming negatively aggressive and impatient on a regular basis. And that, you know, messes up my relationships. So that means I can't accomplish certain things, certain tasks, I need where I need patience. And I get discouraged easily and so forth, right? That state of mind is working against me. Mm. It's not helping me in my life. So... Let's say I learn to be patient. So you have impatience. I, yeah. I, get, mm -hmm. I get used to when I start to feel impatient, I learn to be more patient and more accepting. Okay. So then I, I can navigate the times when I start to get upset and impatient better by being patient and accepting. Okay. Mm. So then what starts happening is then I notice, okay, now that I've got my anger under control or in frustration under control, maybe i can actually use this frustration to become more to develop my willpower that forcefulness you can learn to actually redirect the force that was impatience frustration anger towards willpower being powerful and polite and just moving in, in this direction so once you learn to deal with your negative so-called negative states of mind better then you can actually learn to redirect those states to your advantage so you're actually getting value from the states of mind that were previously messing you up and yeah. you do this through meditation where you would sort of work through like for example let's take the impatient one you'd work through the feelings of impatience and then you somehow through the meditation you get aware of like you know the different things and then you somehow try to tr redirect it into a, the willpower is that what is that how you would do it yeah and you would do it over stages so first mm. of all or let's say you would be working on becoming more patient and accept. And then once you had that, developed that competency to a reasonable degree, you can then talk about re-encountering the anger and redirecting it in another direction so that it takes you towards something useful rather than against something. So once you've got it under control, so to speak, you can then talk about redirecting it, turning it into something useful. But you would do this all through a series of meditations, like slowly over time? Well, And yeah, actions? Yeah. Over time, yes, but you basically, the meditation, if you're doing that as a meditation, you'd be identifying what particular practices can I do, ways of paying attention, in order to shift from frustration to acceptance. Mm. What does that move look like? 
And then you would, once you've identified how to do that, you would then meditate on you, you maybe for 10 minutes every day for a couple of weeks, you would actually practice that move. Right, right. You would recreate the, the frustration and anger. You would practice being accepting. Mm. You, you would develop your capacity to do that on yeah. a practical level through, and the meditation is the practicing moving from frustration to acceptance. So you practice. So meditation is state training. So here you're practicing moving from the state of frustration to the state of acceptance. You're practicing that movement in meditation, right? And then getting to know what that feels like. So once you develop your capacity to do it, once you know how to do it, then you can, then you can do it in your life. When it's, when mm. it's your frustration arising, you know how to shift in real time. Yeah. Because right? you practiced it in meditation. So you've practiced shifting from frustration to acceptance in meditation. Over time, that practice then becomes part of who you are. You now know how to do it in your daily life. So now you can practice shifting your state as you're going about your daily life because you know how to do it because you practice. So there's a form of, there's an aspect of visualization a little bit in it as well as part of the meditation in a way. There, there can be, there can be. And yeah. some, parts of, some aspects of meditation are very much to do with visualization. Some of the meditations that I teach are, but not all of them. I mean, there are different ways of shifting your state. Yeah. Right. Mm, that, mm. Some of it involves body awareness. Some of it involves imagination and visualization. Some of yeah. it's more thought focused. Other, others is more focused on changing your mood and your emotional state. So there's different mm. ways of Wow. Okay. No, because I'm just really cognizant about the time and we're supposed to be talking about Qigong after this. And I'm like, mm, I'm so very like enthralled by speaking about meditation only. But sorry, you, you had one last point you okay. wanted to there's, there's one last point. So, so as a meditation, you're trying to consolidate your strengths in terms right. of state. Secondly, you're trying to improve your capacity to deal with difficult states and even transform them into something useful. Thirdly, you're, you're trying to increase your range of, of positive states that are available to you. So, which is to say, you're trying to increase the number of states that you might not have any familiarity with right now and, and start to, to grow them. Let's say I, I know how to be loving, but I don't know how to be confident. So I know how to be compassionate, loving, gentle, but I don't know how to be confident. So for me, for that person, they already know how to be loving, compassionate, caring to a certain degree, but they, they're not very confident. So this third section is I'm trying to increase my range. For them, developing confidence would be developing something new for them. It'll be part of that new range they're developing. So we all, at the moment, we all have positive states that are available to us, but we also have a range that's currently outside of our experience. We don't, don't really know what that is. So this is kind of like, if you think about right now, you probably used to paint, if you're a painter, maybe you paint in purple, blue, and green. Those are your, that's your strong points. You like to paint those colors. If you don't really use an orange, yellow, red, you know, mm. and so forth. So now it's like, as a meditator, you've got certain strengths, state strengths, but now you want to develop the, your range across another a, a spectrum of different states so that, so that you, your, your life has variety, the amount of pleasure. There's a lots of different ways in which you can enjoy your experience, lots of different ways in which you can be effective, lots of different ways in which you can, you know, exercise, you can enjoy your life in a way that is fulfilling and dynamic, you know. Right. So try out new states of mind and integrate them into your life so that you can actually, you, you become a more rounded person. Mm. You know. So those three things are basically what you're trying to do in meditation. And that's the way I define it. If you understand that, then you're actually, you know, it's not just about focusing on the breathing. It's not just about visualization. It's not just about this or that. 
So different meditation traditions have different states that they emphasize and different techniques that they emphasize. But meditation as a whole, it's state training. Right. Okay. And so since I wanted, when you, you know, when I came across that you were a Qigong practitioner, is that just another form of like meditation, but with movement or like, is that like a subset of Tai Chi and Tai Chi is a meditation with movement? Like, do you, could you like probably explain the difference or what it is all about? Yeah. So Qigong, you could say it has a strong meditative element and the principal object of meditation that you're meditating on Qigong is the flow of subtle energy through your body. So most Qigong practices are basically energy meditations. And what they're interested in is how you can increase the amount of energy in your body, of life force in your body, and the harmonious flow of that life force in the body in order to improve your physical health, in order to improve your psychological balance and well-being, And if you want, you can use it for spiritual purposes to move into deeper states of expanded awareness and so forth. So I teach quite a lot of Qigong meditation and the main and the flow of energy through the body and how you can become aware of that, increase it and use it for those three purposes. Primarily for health, then for psychological well-being and then for spiritual purposes if you want to. Okay. I took up Qigong before I started doing formal meditation practice. And I took, took it up in the final year of college because I had chronic fatigue. So I was in my last year of college. I had all the work to do, but I was super tired. I was completely knackered out. And I was also kind of doing sculpture. I was doing a lot of physical work as well. So it was quite physically demanding what I was doing. So I looked at various different ways to try and you know, help myself at that point. And the thing that I found found had the most immediate and lasting effect was you know 10 to 15 minutes of qigong per day and that really and that enabled me to navigate that space i graduated and moved into my first job and all of those things without having to take a year off defer things or to put my life on hold so just 10 minutes of this is enough to be that effective really to boost a person's energy well-being and so forth yes i mean at the time I was super tired, I was quite busy, and so I didn't have much energy to do the Qigong practice, if you see what I mean. <laughs> so if I did more than 10, I'd be exhausted. But so I, what I found is 10 to 15 minutes, practiced every day, really just it energized me, and then able to just navigate the space, the challenge of being tired a lot of the time, much better than I would okay. if, I, if I didn't do it. So subsequently, I mean, I went through a decade where I'd, be, I'd have been practicing for at least half an hour to an hour a day. By that time, I was back to, relatively speaking, full health. Mm. And I could do it as a practice, basically healthy and optimizing my energy rather than, you know, sort of crawling out of bed and, you know, and just doing 10 minutes and then, aha, okay, I feel kind of functional now. And then going to work, do my sculpture work in the studio, finishing the day, then coming home. So I was able to navigate... If your energy levels are very low, a, very, a short Qigong meditation practice can do wonders for you, right? If you're yeah. already relatively high functioning and you, you want to take it to the next level, then you can practice more, you know? Mm. So I come from a parent space, right? With my, my services and everything. And parents, one, never have time, but they're always exhausted pretty much. And 
is mm. there some basic qigong like movements that they can just do or do you need to like have been with a practitioner like a teacher to teach you kind of thing or can there just be like one or two things that they can do already on their own no yeah 100 percent, you can i mean what i thought i'd explain in, the, in this session there, there are plenty of things that we could i could be talking about be done as practices where you, you don't necessarily know some complicated moves mm-hmm. so for example when i one principle that i i still use a lot that is basically qigong and again i, I really I got good at this when I was when I had chronic fatigue because I really had very little energy, right? So the, the first principle for Chico, do the activity that you're engaged in right now with the minimum amount of effort to do it well. Okay. okay. The minimum amount of effort to do it well. So when you're tired, stressed, you tend to do your activities very inefficient, right? So if I'm I'm stressed and I'm typing an email, I'm holding a lot of tension there. There's a lot of effort just going to the you know the fact that my face is creased up like this. And then I'm banging on and mm. banging away on the thing and I, my shoulders are up Shows here yeah so all of all of that is taking energy mm. all of that is taking effort and it's effort that i don't need to be spent do not need to be expending so if you're a parent right and you're sleep deprived and you're frustrated and you're you know doing what and you're working from home and, and you're working, dealing with the kids all together yeah. and i'm working from home and and my partner is frustrated too and she be it is tired and we're all kind of bouncing there's all that stress massive so then then it's like okay let's say my email is like okay notice my body so first thing shoulders when you're tense they go up right towards the ears like that so first thing shoulders off off the ears second thing relax your hands right so that i'm typing only with the necessary effort relaxing my face right Probably, probably taking the, the speed at which I'm thinking down by about 20%. Normally, you know, the speed at which I'm typing and thinking down by about 20%. You know, when you're typing too fast, you're making a bunch of errors. So you have to type, delete, type, delete. So you go slower, but you make fewer mistakes. You get, you're going at the same speed, but you're going slower. You get what I mean? Right. Right. And I'm thinking slower, but more clearly. Right. So I then discover actually I can, I can get a number of emails done with much less effort than I thought I needed, right? And I can save 10% of my energy just mindfully doing emails in that way when I'm, when I'm at my computer station or just typing away, composing articles or whatever I'm doing, right? Right. So if I, when I sit down at the computer, I say, okay, no more effort than necessary, right? Then I can learn to do my computer station work in a way that is much more ergonomic, where I'm right. saving energy, right? And if, let's say, well, we all spend quite a lot of time on the computer day, particularly if it's part of our job, then let's say if by doing that I can save between 10 and 20% energy over the course of a day through good you know, ergonomic posture and effortfulness. So then that's 10 to 20 minutes, 20% extra energy that I can be using to enjoy myself in the evening, to cope with my life as a parent, to take the edge off the stress that I'm experiencing. Right. I used to do that with my active when I was in the sculpture studio. I'd be lifting bags of plaster and bags of clay and, you know, to kind of pulling my sculptures onto plinths and things like this. So, again, if you take a, a 20 kilogram bag of clay, it's quite a heavy object. Yeah. But if I would practice just only the amount of effort that I need. So, actually, you need grip strength. Yeah. You need to brace your shoulders, lower back. 
And then when you're, if you're squatting, you need, you need a, like a flat foot squat. So you're squatting using your glutes and thighs. Other than that, you can keep your body quite relaxed. It's remarkable how relaxed you can be whilst lifting quite a heavy object. Mm. Grasping the thing is, oh my God, so heavy. Like that, and you're actually you're using a lot of energy that you don't need to be. Mm. So I'm just my only use the muscles you need to use to lift the object or to move the thing. Okay. So I can do a good day's work without a whole lot of energy because I have chronic fatigue pretty well if I'm working like that. And actually, because I have a fine, I feel like I have a finite resource of energy, I actually learn that. But then I can take that into the rest of my day or the yeah. rest of my life after that. And it's like, yeah, only as much effort as you need, right? This is a, like a principle with Qigong. You can explore it in your body if you're doing physical movement, but then you can also explore it in terms of the way in which you approach problems mentally. So a lot of people are just expending a huge amount of mental energy just thinking about stuff all the time. Yeah. And that's just Absolutely. not ergonomic. Mm. You're just burning energy all the time. People say, well, I can't stop thinking. If you can't, you're going to be exhausted. Yeah, absolutely. And if, and if you're working full time and you've got interrupted sleep because you're a parent, you're stuck at home all day because it's a, it's a lockdown or whatever, then that is, you're placing a lot of stress on yourself that you don't need to. You've got enough stress already. You know what I mean? Yeah. So basically not using more energy than you need to. What is another sort of Qigong thing that parents or someone can do easily to get some more energy? Okay, so another one is keeping your center of gravity low in the body, low in your torso. Okay, so you're trying to breathe from your belly. Again, this is partly related to a lot of people's center of gravity is quite high. They're quite energetically speaking, top heavy. So they're actually when they're standing or sitting, they're holding a lot of their body weight in the upper body, mm. right? So the idea with Qigong is you are, you're trying to think about your torso as being like a pyramid, right? So you're trying to be broad at the hips, narrow at the top. Yeah. Right? So you want to have your energy down in the body. So if you're watching this or listening to this, as you're breathing in, as I'm talking, just be aware of any tension in the upper body. As you breathe out, just sink it down gently into your lower belly area. If you like, you can place one hand, on the palm of one hand, over your belly button, right? Or just beneath your belly button. So you notice there's a warm sensation there. So as you're breathing in, you're noticing tension in the upper body. As you're breathing out, you're imagining that that little warm sensation of the palm is like a little magnet and it's just drawing the tension down into the lower belly. So that your central gravity is, is down there. So the upper body is nice and relaxed, nice and loose. Okay. So you're not holding tension in your upper body. You're breathing and relaxing from your belly area, okay? And then you're just, as you're breathing in, you're bringing the air down into the bottom of the lungs mm. and filling the lungs from the bottom up. So if you do that, what you'll notice is that your belly goes out a couple of centimeters as you breathe in. Then you'll feel your, your rib cage filling up. And then finally, as you reach the top of your breath, you'll notice your clavicles filling up like that, okay? So, and then as you exhale, clavicles go down, rib cage goes down, and finally the belly moves back to resting position. So I'm trying to breathe. I'm keeping my center of gravity low in the belly. I'm trying to breathe from the bottom of the lungs. Like that. So that way I'm keeping my upper body relaxed, my center of gravity nice and low. That is an ergonomic sitting or standing posture. Mm. So when I sit or stand, I'm not, my center of gravity is not high up like this. It's down low in the belly. All right. So 
So my center of gravity is low in the belly. Uh, other characteristics, this is just awareness of posture, really, how you hold your body. When you're tense like this, right, there's a lot of upper body tension. Again, shoulders go towards the ears. So keep your shoulders off your ears. So my shoulders are, are just gently open, but down off the ear like that. Okay. So we talked about it a little bit earlier with the ergonomic activities, but be aware of your facial expression, relax. Mm. So again, if you're tense, if your mind is anxious, then that'll describe itself in your facial expression. Again, you're holding a lot of, a lot of tension in the face. Yeah. Right. So you want to be aware of your face, just at least moving towards relaxation there. If you can, towards a half smile. Mm. Right. So not just a half smile, right? So a half smile has a particular chi or particular energy, which is to say, I am calm, but strong. I'm accepting, but positive. Mm. My physiological expression, my face describes my energy. So I can, if I can relax my face a little bit, smile a little bit, then there's a different chi, a different energy that starts to come into my face. And from my face, it comes down into my body. Okay. So another simple principle with Qigong is, is actually just simply to feel like your body is alive. It sounds like a funny thing, right? But quite often it feels like we've got ourselves in the cockpit, in the brain area, and then our body's like some kind of machine that we're just kind of operating on like this. So with Qigong, you're really trying to feel and experience as if your, your body is a living creature, is a living thing full of energy, full of life for which of course it is actually it is because we're all alive right <laughs> it, is. it is so you're really trying to get in touch with the life force within the body through awareness imagining that you can feel all the different parts of your body softly and feel the life force of them and just awareness of the fact that your body's a living thing and tuning into that increases the amount of life energy that you start to experience within the body that sounds really simple right really simple but it's like you really feel your body properly feel the living nature of the body properly then that ten, that encourages the life force into the body to to flow in a in a more gently greater manner but also in a more harmonious manner okay and then one simple breathing technique that you can try out as, a, as an extension of that is is what i call full body breathing okay so what this means is when you're breathing in and out, you're breathing in, you're not just breathing in and out with your nose, your mouth, your lungs. As you're breathing in, you're feeling as if all the cells in your body are breathing in with you, energizing as you inhale. And then as you're breathing out, you're feeling all the, all the cells in the body breathing out with you, releasing tension, releasing stuck life energy within your body. So you're breathing in, you're energized, the whole body's energizing, taking in life force, taking in chi, breathing out. Our body's releasing stuck energy, relaxing, allowing the chi to flow through the body more fully. So full, full body breathing is another really simple. I mean, if we were moving on to movement forms, I, I normally practice the full body breathing before doing any movement, you know. So, yeah. so yes, those are like just really simple awareness practices. Those three mm. uh, are important ones and you can take them into any other qigong practice that you're evolving. Doing your daily activities or your any activity with no more effort than is needed keeping your center of gravity low in the belly and breathing with the whole body and treating your body as if it were a living organism being aware of your body as a living organism mm. right one final thing 
with Qigong, we're trying to be aware of ourselves, the qi in our body, the energy in our body has been part of a much uh, greater body of energy and life force in the planet, right? So we also practice awareness of the, these larger life sources of energy and life force and tuning into them. So the immediate one right beneath us is the planetary being, the earth beneath us. So with Qigong, we relate to the planet as if it were a living thing full of life force and energy and practice tuning into that and feeling that rising up through through our feet to our point of contact with the earth and perhaps actually receiving that planetary life force into the body in order to increase our own life force so similarly we have sky and stars above us and around us so a huge resource of universal chi above us so again, just being aware that we, we have this huge resource of energy above us and around us, and again, tuning into that using our awareness. So again, one simple thing you can do with that is, being, let's say you're sitting on a chair with your feet on the floor and your head, with your crown of your head upright. So as you're breathing in, you spend a bit of time just really softening the soles of your feet and trying to feeling the flow of earth energy up from the earth, up into your body through the soles of your feet. And then similarly, you can practice breathing through your crown, whereas you're breathing in, you imagine yourself taking in energy and life force mm. through, the, through the crown of the head from sky and stars, right? So down into the body from the crown. So then you're, you're practicing just connecting yourself to these two meta resources of energy, the planetary being beneath us and the sky and stars above us, and bringing them into the body. Just learning, it's almost like plugging stuff into you know, a wall socket. Yeah, yeah, so recharge. <laughs> so, so it's free energy yeah. and it's available to us once you know how to access it it's free it's not difficult to do in fact once you practice it a few times it's very easy to do mm. and just oh suddenly you've got 10 15 percent more energy than you had before just because you're plugging into an available resource that is right there just using your attention and your awareness to direct it into you like that right that's amazing okay so then Toby, if people wanted to get more information about Qigong or meditation or mindfulness practices, like what services do you offer to clients? So if you go to tobyubri.com, probably the simplest one, then you'll see that I offer already a huge resource. There, there's probably 300 articles, a number of meditation recordings and so forth. So you can, you can go there and you can sign up for my newsletter. I send one out every week, uh, one or two out every week, where you could find meditations, mind, meditation articles, mindfulness recordings and so forth. And you can also find out the, uh, the schedule of classes that I have. So I have regular weekly meditation classes. I have one, one a week on a Sunday currently, which is, that is a Qigong meditation. And then I have a, a series of Qigong workout classes. These, these are actually movement form classes that you can tune into. And I also do one-to-one. So I do one-to-one coaching both as a, as a life coach and a meditation coach, as well as a, a Qigong teacher. So according to what you want, you can pretty much find it there. Amazing. We'll put those links in the show notes underneath this episode. But yes, thank you. And I want one last question is, what is a shift that you would like to create in the world with your craft? The shift that I want to create? Well, essentially, I'm just evolutionarily focused, which is um, the, my, the idea of my few decades on the planet is to try to direct the evolution of humanity and the consciousness of the planet towards the next level, whatever level that you know, we're capable of, we're in an important time where there's too many humans and lots of kind of miniature crises coming up. So my idea is just to help humanity to prepare as much as possible by helping them to be as internally prepared as they can uh, to meet the challenges and to move to the next level. 
that's my work. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Toby. Thank you very much for doing this as well. Okay, it was an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you.